I'm Fearless Fred, comic book creator, radio personality, and dungeon master extraordinaire. On my podcast, Issue Zero, we'll explore all the things that used to get you beat up in school. From Conan the Barbarian to Wonder Woman, we'll look at the history and future of the fandom universe. So join me as we journey through galaxies far, far away. Issue Zero is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also find us and listen on demand at CuriousCast.ca. Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, January 21st. We begin with City Council's decision to make a move on banning conversion therapy in our city. We speak with Ward 8 Councillor Evan Woolley on the process and how a ban may be enforced. Then we tackle the issue of gun violence in our city following the announcement of a joint task force in the works between City Hall and the Calgary Police Service. We speak with the President of the Canadian Association of Criminology and Legal Studies. Next, we head south to talk U.S. politics with Reggie Cicchini, Global National Washington correspondent. Reggie sets the scene for day one of the Senate portion of the Trump impeachment trial. And finally, it may be weeks away, but now is the time to start thinking about spring break day camps for your kids. Ellen Percival joins us from Calgary's Child Magazine. 811 now. Conversion therapy is defined as the practice of trying to change an individual's sexual orientation using psychological or spiritual interventions. It's dangerous. It's been completely discredited. Meantime, hundreds of thousands of LGBTQ people have been subjected to the horrors of conversion therapy, and it will continue until the practice is stopped. Today, Ward 8 Councillor Evan Woolley calling for a bylaw to ban conversion therapy in Calgary, and he joins us now. Morning, Evan. Good morning. Thanks so much for for being with us this morning. So talk to us. I mean, Edmonton and St. Albert, they've already banned the practice of conversion therapy here in Alberta. Why is it so important to you that Calgary also bans it? Well, I think uh, I, I think that this has been a long time coming. We know that our federal government is looking at changes to the criminal code, but as a municipality and as a city, uh, I think it's, it's it's obviously time for us to take action. This is a practice that has been discredited uh, from dozens of organizations and other municipalities, and it's time for us to step up as a community. Do we have any data, uh, uh, Councillor Woolley, on how widespread the practice has been in our city? The data is actually really hard to come by, but we have uh, many, many cases that continue to come forward um, that are evidence of this practice occurring within our city limits. A lot of times this happens sort of under the radar. So what can the city do once the practice is banned here in Calgary? Well, so that's what we've asked our administration uh, to draft a bylaw prohibiting business this business practice, whether you're an organization undertaking uh, these kinds of treatments or an individual uh, therapist. Um, this will be actually the first business uh, that is banned in the city in the city limits. It uh, obviously will be difficult uh, to 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 track uh, to track these down in a broad way. But as cases come up, uh, these these bylaw tools will will allow us to respond. When you say uh, cases come up, would that just kind of be a word of mouth uh, example? Like you wouldn't have bylaw officers active in this area, would you? Well, I think I think we that that will come from uh, our administration, particularly around enforcement, uh, as as they go to draft the bylaw. But uh, I think you're you're right there. As cases do come forward, we will have the ability uh, to to um, uh, to go into these businesses and see 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 what what practices are occurring and 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 look at all the tools that we have at our disposal. Again, a lot of this. Uh, will rest on the federal and provincial governments uh, working together to, uh, to, to bring in changes to the criminal code. So ultimately, what are you hoping to do as a city that you can pull a business license, that you can find a business that uh, doesn't stop doing this ridiculous thing? 
Yes, exactly. Um, you know, I, I, I think uh, we will have our standards and practices that uh, that this bylaw will 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 um, will include, including uh, fines. Uh, Edmonton's fine is ten thousand um, if they're found guilty of breaking this rule. Uh, we have yet to set that fine amount, but uh, but we will be doing so. Hearing that Edmonton and uh, St. Albert have already moved on this, was it a case for the city of Calgary that this was just kind of on the to-do list and uh, getting to it is, is this week type thing? Well, you know, one of the yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've uh, members of our LGBT community have been uh, looking at this and, and, and advocating for this for some time. We had uh, the provincial, the previous provincial government had had a working group looking at this. The new um, UCP government uh, ended that working group, and so I think really it came to a head in terms of uh, us taking uh, taking a stand on this as a municipality and looking at all of the tools uh, that we have at our disposal to ensure the safety uh, and well-being of our citizens. Do you have the backing of the entire council on this? I know the mayor is with you. I know Jody Gondek is, and there are a couple of other councillors. Do you have everybody on board? Uh, I'm not sure about everybody, but uh, in all of my conversations with with many, many council members, uh, they are supportive, and you've seen that support uh, publicly. I I, I don't know uh, if this will be unanimous. I'm obviously hoping for this is uh, an abhorrent practice and uh, one that I hope for broad council support on. Hypothetically, if it's unanimous, uh, when would we see something like this enacted and uh, and ready to go? In the next couple months. Excellent. So will vote actually go today then, Evan? The vote is just at priorities in finance. It'll be on to council just at the end of the month, or sorry, early February, and the bylaw will come back a month or two after that. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning, Councillor Woolley. Appreciate it. Th- Good on Thanks you, Evan. So much. Good job. That's Ward 8 Councillor Evan Woolley. 909 on the morning news. A wave of violent crime in our city has many people worrying about their safety, but there may be a new partnership on the horizon. Mayor Nahad Nenshi and Councillor George Chahal will be presenting the idea of a task force to help curb, uh, curb some of the crime. Joining us now to talk about the idea of a task force is Ritesh Narayan, president of the Canadian Association of Criminology and Legal Studies. He joins us now. Good morning, Ritesh. Very good morning to you. Well, let's uh, talk about this idea of a task force. Uh, we've talked uh, on this program many times with the Calgary Police Service, particularly Chief uh, Mark Newfeld. Uh, they're on top of it, although uh, the uh, crime seems to be continuing. So is a task force needed in your mind? Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, many, lots of credit to uh, this, uh, the Calgary Police, and I think uh, under uh, the new leadership, they were definitely uh, are doing a much better job. So kudos to uh, to the chief and his team. Uh, now, with respect to the task force, yes, I think it's needed. Uh, think Albert Einstein said that doing the same thing over and over again and expecting uh, different results is basically insanity. Um, it's they're looking from different angles on how to prevent these kind of crimes has been something that uh, experts have been uh, advocating for uh, a very long time. So it's a breath of fresh air, a very forward-looking that um, the mayor and uh, uh, Councillor Chonhol has uh, brought um, forward this particular motion. So, Ritesh, you look at it more as, you know, bringing different groups together to kind of brainstorm ideas as opposed to uh, just looking good to appease citizens? Absolutely. Uh, and I think, uh, I mean, once again, you know, a lot of credit to the CPS. I think they're doing what they can. However, the crime prevention, the crime fighting uh, endeavor has never been succeeded with just the police doing everything. It has to be done in a partnership with the community, with, with stakeholders. And I think this is what this particular task force um, is hoping to bring. 
from a criminology perspective, I, I'm guessing, you know, yeah, obviously you'll let us know here, that the issue is the when it comes to crime, they can be chameleons and uh, lots of moving parts and things are always changing, whereas the police service, uh, they have to keep on top of it, but there's not just one group we're talking about. Absolutely, and I think one of the things I liked about uh, the idea behind the task force is looking at the programs that's out there. Because just because you know a program is running well for one group may not necessarily be very effective for another. So one of the things that I understand is being proposed is evaluating some of the programs uh, that is out there. And can they be effective then in in helping curb our problems or at least getting away to a solution along with the police? Most certainly, I think the deep, the two big problems here, uh, which has attributed to these violent crimes, one is of course uh, uh, illegal drugs, and secondly, the presence of uh, illegal guns, and mm-hmm. all of these are connected. So, in order to address gun, sorry, in order to address uh, the drug problem, I think we need to take. Um, a different approach because we need to start treating um, the drug problem as a health care problem. It is a mental health problem. It's a, you know we need a more social work approach um, to to combat this. We need policy changes. And then on the other hand, you've got um, uh, guns, illegal guns, because majority of not all these uh, um, shootings that take place are using illegal weapons. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with the, uh, the gun control or the gun policies we have right now. It's how we're approaching it. So in order to um, take care of that, I think we need to address, we need to include community stakeholders, uh, the business community, the community and, relig- and religious leaders as well. Uh, some people on the sidelines, some armchair quarterbacks will always point to the fact that it's the court system. What do you say to that? You know what? I think there's definitely uh, um, something to be said along that lines because here's the thing with, uh, like I said, we have, we've got the laws with respect to guns. I don't think we need more laws. Um, we need, and I think they do get enforced well by the police when it gets to the court system because a lot of our um, uh, the criminal codes uh, does stipulate that uh, when a crime is committed to using weapons, there's mandatory minimum sentencing attached to uh, a lot of these uh, crimes. Unfortunately, what happens um, when these matters go to court, um, the charges are pleaded um, or uh, downgraded uh, in order to get a plea, um, and therefore that component of mandatory minimum sentencing is gone, and therefore also gone is the deterrence. Mm-hmm. I think, right, it's a, a slap on the wrist for a lot of these people. So as a criminologist, is that what you would sort of advocate for, do you think, is a harsher sentence and actually giving and, and making sure that those criminals are receiving that harsh sentence, maybe that's a deterrent for them? Yeah, and it's, it's not even, you know, you don't even have to go harsher. You basically, you know, b- b- follow what the criminal code says. And uh, so uh, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, you know, being overly punitive. All I think we've got to do is it's already been prescribed in the criminal code of Canada. Uh, I think we just need to follow that. It's, uh, it's quite sad that when the matter goes before um, the Crown, a lot of times um, the charges are, are downgraded because uh, a plea has been made. So uh, as long as we follow what's been prescribed, I think that will work as a deterrent because right now offenders know that, you know what, uh, yes, I've been caught with a weapon, but uh, if I maybe plead guilty, make some sort of deal, um, that particular charge will be downgraded and uh, I won't be facing the mm-hmm. mandatory minimum sentencing. Yeah.
Have we seen a model like this uh, anywhere else in the nation or in the world, for that matter, with the city council and the police uh, task force uh, combining? Yes, we have. As a matter of fact, I was uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, uh, just uh, last summer. And uh, you may know this, that um, D.C. was uh, the capital for homicide for years. So their council and police collaborated. And now they're, they're doing much better. They're definitely not number one. Um, and things have definitely improved. So, yes, uh, it's, it's a great initiative. It's a step in the right direction. And I'm quite excited about this. Well, it, it seems, you know, it's a citywide issue, obviously. So taking action and involving the public and, and businesses, as you said, involving everybody who has, you know, a stake in this game, it just does seem to make sense. So thanks for your input. We appreciate it, Ritesh. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. Ritesh Narayan is the president of the Canadian Association of Criminology and Legal Studies. So he seems to think it's a good idea. The police seem to think it's a good idea. So I'm on board, too, then. Texters are talking again, just uh, something that I uh, mentioned with Ritesh, which is the court and, uh, you know, tightening up. Uh, but I think that in the meantime, it's fine to tighten that up. Uh, but the time it takes to implement things uh, of that nature, yeah, absolutely. We have to, as one of the texters says, throw the book at these type of criminals. By the time the legislation takes, uh, by the time the red tape has been cut through, we c- how many more, uh, you know, gun violent incidents will we have on city streets? Well, uh, we, it's a tough one. We uh, need to get on it now. I agree with you. And as he's saying, don't, we don't even need to make the penalties harsher. Just enforce, enforce the penalties. Them. Stop giving, you know, the time served and the, you know, reducing it to get a plea. Give the time that, uh, you know, befits the crime, right? Yeah, it's already in the books. Yeah. 718 right now. President Donald Trump's impeachment trial set to begin in Washington today. Let the fireworks begin. Joining us this morning, Global National Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini. Hi, Reggie. Good morning. Set the stage for us. What does today look like? How do you think it's going to roll out day one? Well, today is going to be all about the rules and trying to figure out exactly how this is going to proceed over the next what could be couple of days, potentially a couple of weeks. It's going to be a back and forth of the president's defenders and the House prosecutors trying to you know go against the pros and cons of what the rule book is going to be. And what we understand is that Mitch McConnell doesn't want to see any evidence introduced unless there's a vote and doesn't want to see any witnesses introduced unless there's a vote. And that means Democrats are going to have to work hard to bring people on their side in order to get this information brought out into the Senate and put on the record. Party is starting and Donald Trump not even in the House is Davos, Switzerland. I guess it, it doesn't matter. He does not have any requirements to be president. Doesn't have to be there at all. He's likely going to be watching this on Twitter. The press secretary released a statement today saying that he's going to get periodic updates throughout the afternoon. We fully understand, though, that the president will likely be immersed in this on Twitter. He's already sent out three or four tweets on this today in between his meetings with business leaders in Davos. So we always say he's his best communicator in chief. This is kind of the uh, pivotal moment for him to be making sure he's putting his best defense out there and then giving that uh, to his defense team to be able to guide them. Reggie, is it pretty crucial for the Democrats to get witnesses into this situation to make sure that they can hear other voices heard before anything else can really happen? It is, and for two reasons. Yes, they need it so that they can get new information brought onto the record, but also because there's a growing poll out there, or at least a growing number of Americans, according to a poll, that shows 7 in 10 want to see witness testimony, and that includes more than 80% of Republicans want to see this this kind of come forward and have new information out there, and the Republicans understand that there could be an issue with this. So, if the Democrats are able to get the votes to bring witnesses to the floor, Republicans say they'll take them behind a closed door, do it in deposition style, and then put a vote forward to see whether or not it should actually be released to the public and put on the record. 
Let's talk timeline, Reggie. Um, how long can we expect this portion of the impeachment to last? The, this is likely going to last just a day to get through the rules. Once it starts up tomorrow, each side will be given 24 hours over two days, meaning this is going to go through the overnight hours. We'll be looking at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, introduction, uh, introductions uh, of making a case. Then it's going to be a back and forth over amendments and over votes. This is something that could wrap up within a week. It could drag out a couple of weeks and butt up against the State of the Union uh, at the very beginning of February. It all depends on what those final rules are that are voted on today. I'm pretty certain we will be checking in with you again at least later on this week as this starts to go on and uh, we'll see how things shape up for the president thanks for joining us this morning reggie appreciate it thank you global national washington correspondent reggie Cicchini. spring break it seems so far away yet it comes upon us very quickly so when do you start registering or looking to register the kids in any kind of spring break programs we talk to the expert and find out whether we should be doing that pretty quickly ellen percival from calgary child's magazine joins us hi ellen Good morning. How are you? Great. Thank you. So talk to us. I mean, it's hard too because, you know, both boards do spring break at different times, whether you're in Catholic or public, but are the programs starting to come available to us online? They absolutely are now. We actually have a a small section in our education guide, which is online at calgarystyle.com. You'll find PD days and spring break camp ideas, but we also have a huge section on classes and programs and so many Um, of our classes and program providers and camp providers in the city have now realized what a struggle it is to to find programming for kids. I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like there's a lot more PD days. Uh, yes. Uh, yep. Right? Than when, when our kids were younger or <laughs> certainly when we were in school. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the camp, you know, with CBE and, and Calgary Catholic um, breaking at different times. We've got March 19th to 30th for CBE and April 9th to April 20th. Those are big spreads to uh, keep the kids busy. And I'm happy to say that the businesses in Calgary are responding. Well, it's good for business for sure, Ellen, but for parents, uh, like you're alluding to, I mean, getting your kids in a camp is one thing, but getting them in something they want, that's why you have to act now so they're not just in the, uh, you know, uh, I guess, basket weaving 101 for a week when they want it to be in a robotics <laughs> not, camp. Not that there's anything wrong with basket weaving. You want their choice. No, no. <laughs> but it's not for everyone, is it? No. Uh, so, yes, there. while there are many varied programs, if your child has more specific likes, um, then definitely you want to start looking now. If you're looking into the arts or or some programming, uh, you certainly want to start looking now. There's some very interesting camps out there. Um, we're lucky that this, we have big camp providers as well. So fellow spells, City of Calgary does an incredible mm-hmm. job, Repsol, all the big ones, MRU camps does wonderful camps. And so not to worry, you will find something, but if your child really is looking for something special and a unique uh, experience that maybe they they either love or want to try, you're going to have to start looking now. Now, I know at Calgary's Child, obviously, you'll you'll have a listing at some point. When when can we see that? Because otherwise, how do I know what I'm looking for if I don't know what to look for? Exactly. Take a peek in our education guide. It's our Education and Preschool 2020 guide. You will find a subcategory there called PD Days and Spring Break Camps. That by no uh, stretch is an exhaustive list. You'll want to go to our class and program guide, our 2020, and you will find many, many, many um, class and program providers. Reach out to them. There are live links to their websites and to their email on Calgary's Child, and you can go and see what they do.
The other wrinkle that uh, parents and new parents or otherwise uh, get into is uh, two kids in the household, different ages, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's prohibitive to, to have a, a 10-year-old in the same camp as a 13-year-old. So you might not only have them in different camps, but in, in different facilities. Uh, that's why we want to plan early. Is that right? Absolutely. And you're not wrong. It's exactly it. It's such a problem for parents, especially you know with those age spreads or interest spreads. And you could be ending up across town dropping kids. Fortunately, many of the camps, again, have responded and have before and after care. That helps a little, mm-hmm. but you're still scrambling. If you're not, you know, plan now, take a good look. And if you're lucky, you'll find camps that, that do um, cater to all ages, or at least you can find some nearby if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thank you so much for the information, Alan. Always appreciate it. And thanks for always having such a great resource for us parents. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Ellen Percival, editor of Calgary's Child Magazine. You can find all that info, calgaryschild.com. It's not a new phenomenon. Oprah Winfrey's a spokesperson for Weight Watchers, the Kardashians known for beauty and skin products, and now in the headlines, Gwyneth Paltrow's company, Goop. Described as a wellness and lifestyle company, Goop launched originally as a a newsletter, weekly newsletter. It's now a huge empire valued at more than $250 million and announced earlier this month they'll soon be featured in a new Netflix program called Goop Labs. So that begs the question, how much weight do we put on the health and wellness companies that are led by these celebrity experts. Joining us to discuss is Dr. Trina Reed, who is a sexologist. Good morning, Dr. Reed. Good morning, and thanks for having me on. Okay, so first of all, what's a sexologist? So I would say my job is to educate people about, you know, all things sex. So I'm, I'm basically an educator, and so I take, I take all the research that people are doing, those fine people are doing, and I, I filter it and I make it palatable for people that understand. So that's, so I, you know, it, it, when we talk about Gwen, there's a lot of criticism, there's a lot of pro-Gwen, there's a lot of, so, you know, h- how do you differentiate what is good on the group site and not good on the group site? I'm the person to ask. Well, there, that's why we're you're calling you. That's Perfect. why you're calling me. So, yeah, we know Gwyneth Paltrow as an actress, and now Goop, it didn't come out of nowhere. It's been around since, again, 2008 for, for, for 12 years. Uh, so what can you tell us about her company? You know, so I, I believe, now I could be wrong, but I've been following Goop from its inception, and she, Gwen Paltrow started uh, writing cookbooks, and I believe she started Goop to promote her cookbooks. And she caught, she's a very savvy businesswoman, and she cottoned on pretty quick that the lifestyle portion of her of her blog was really hitting people. And, if, and you might know that the global wellness industry is a three point seven trillion dollar industry, and I, I, yeah, it's it's significant, right? There's a lot of people who really want that type of information, and I think she figured that out quickly, and and so she started putting more emphasis on that area of her of her website so when she started delving into sex so naturally when she delved into sex uh you know the women were voracious they wanted the information because there's not a lot of Mm -hmm. information out there and because she is a celebrity people just assumed that she was giving credible good information and now what we're finding there there's been some books written about maybe it's not as credible as we want it to be. So, you know, I've gone on to Goop, and the thing I find about Goop is there's some really great 
great things on there about sex. So I just I'm just on a page right now, and they're promoting some personal use, um, personal use appliances, devices. And, yeah, devices, <laughs> and they're awesome. Like this, what they're promoting is awesome. I've also been on her site where I'm going, oh no, 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 Gwen, that's not the case. And I said, so I think if you're just the average consumer and She's promoting, you know, something like maca root. So maca root is supposed to help libido. It's supposed to balance your hormones. That's what it's supposed to do. But it's hit and miss for women. But women might say, oh, well, I need to take this because Gwyneth Paltrow is yeah. promoting it. Right? And, it's, and, you know, a lot of the things that are on her website are very expensive, right? So it's it's... You know, it's very. It can be very costly to the consumer. I mean, it's it's almost like she's preying on women because there is not the information and the availability of this stuff for us out there. And we're so driven by celebrity. Do we just assume that because she's a woman, she's telling us the truth? You know. So here's the thing: uh, if we had a hundred women in in the room, forty of those women would be experiencing some kind of low sexual desire, chronic for, you know, more than four months. Of those 40 women, 10 women would be distressed enough to want to do something about it. And of those 10 women, uh, one woman would go see her doctor. So, it's a, you know, one woman out of 100 would go and seek out help from her doctor. However, those 40 women could go on to Gwyneth Paltrow's website and there's a plethora of ideas for them so the problem with why women i believe why women don't want to go see her doctor is it's a very awkward conversation app right Mm -hmm. but when she goes on to gwyneth paltrow's website it's very woman friendly you know women are on there advocating all this stuff and it's a lot more comfortable for women to say oh you know like i feel comfortable talking about my sexuality here uh, but the problem is women tend to self-diagnose and they might not diagnose properly. So, you know, like they, they might see, uh, you know, they might see, oh, I need some acupuncture and they think oh, that's going to solve my problems. And it might, and it might solve their problems, but it might not solve their problems. You know, I honestly believe, honestly, in my heart, I believe that Gwyneth Paltrow really just wants to uh, show women all the different things that are available to them. I don't think that she's like preying on women. I just think she genuinely wants to say, hey, here are all your options. And, you know, but the thing is, if you don't really know what, if you're not really in touch with your body or in touch with your thoughts or in touch with what's going on in your relationship, you know, like you could really do some. You know, you harm. can really your, not, Well, I don't know what harm. Like, you know, like if you tr- if you go and try acupuncture, it's not going to harm you. But if you but take might- something that she's suggesting you take and say it counteracts with a medicine because you believed Gwyneth yes. and didn't go to your doctor, then it can cause harm. Yeah. So, but so, like, this is this is where I I don't really know what to say to women because if they are going to go to their doctor, if one in one hundred women are going to go to their doctor. Versus those 40 women being able to go on the website and see what their options are. You know, I'm really conflicted about, you know, saying that she's not doing a good service to women. You know, mm-hmm. but like there's consequences to promoting what, you know, what women don't necessarily know how to fix in themselves. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a tough one. You know, ultimately, it's a, it's a business. She's running it as a business. But I also think she wants women to see what their options are. So I don't know. I don't know. That's not a really good 
answer. Yeah, that's, it is that's a good, good answer. answer. It's truthful. It's a, it's a, a lot of information on out there. Thank you very much for your time this morning, Dr. Reed. Thank you for having me. Dr. Trina Reed is a sexologist.